Hi there, my name is Tim. And my name is Luke. And you are listening to the Recruitment Now podcast. We are passionate about recruiting. Each episode, we share ideas and insights into the world of recruiting from world-class recruiters and researchers. This podcast is for recruiters, HR professionals, and anyone looking to improve their recruitment abilities. Hi, everyone. So we're here today with uh, Shazia Nurali from ATB Financial. Um, and we're talking about managing talent and diversity in the workplace really innovatively. Shazia is the Director of Talent Management at ATB Financial here in Calgary and also the host of the Color Gap podcast. She leads the talent system at ATB and also leads the team that oversees talent for the company. She's a published writer, speaker and blogger and holds both a Bachelor of Management degree and a Master's of Education degree from the University of British Columbia. So thanks for joining us here today, Shazia. Thanks for having me, guys. Mm -hmm. So um, today we're wanting to explore a little bit more about your role and and what you do at ATB specifically related to recruitment um, and managing the talent pool. Maybe you can start off by just telling us a little bit about ATB. Sure. So um, for those of you that don't know about ATB, we are essentially what we call a homegrown financial institution uh, based here in Alberta. We are about close to 5,300 team members, uh, basically situated across Alberta, and we service the Alberta province with respect to everything around banking needs from um, wealth and advisory services to retail banking, mortgages, lines of credit, uh, the whole nine. We have a really special focus within the organization around entrepreneurship, as well as a focus around supporting the arts and culture community. And so we've got some really cool initiatives that are really unique to to us as an institution within Alberta, a branch that's focused strictly on the arts and culture community, as well as uh, entrepreneur centers based throughout Alberta that are focused on just really building community around entrepreneurs within the province. And that's just a real slice of, of some of the, the work that we do at the organization. We are a top employer in Canada, number of years running in a row, very, very values-focused, purpose-driven organization, and a real supportive sort of focus around uh, community and impact and corporate social responsibility. It really runs through our blood and our DNA as an organization. So it's an organization that we say is not like most other banks. And we have a 94-word story that really drives our purpose, and it's really focused around how we will do things that other banks wouldn't do. And it's an interesting time for us right now because we're actually coming into a launch of a 10-year strategy, which will likely change the direction that we go in as an organization and probably focus us more on what we call customer obsession and a real focus on making sure that we amplify our efforts with respect to doing things that other banks wouldn't do. So tell us about your role at ATB. Mm. Like, what do you do? You know your job title, Director yeah. of Talent Management. What, yeah. what do you do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, that's it's a tough question to answer because it changes every single day. But primarily my focus is around what's called the talent system at ATB. So when we think about talent acquisition, we encompass everything from the interaction factor to the assessment factor of how we're actually assessing whether people not only will fit our culture, but are going to be contributors to our culture, as well as really looking at the acquisition side of things. And so leading that process, um, really looking at talent acquisition technology and innovation in that space and understanding what can ATB do to kind of get in front of uh, various trends within the talent acquisition space. And my big focus is really around humanizing the experience as much as possible. So we talk a lot about human 
in ex machine and that's sort of the approach that we take is how do we marry the technology with the human impact and the focus that the talent acquisition team can bring to the conversations to the dialogue to branding the way in which potential candidates will look at ATB. And so my job encompasses looking at that entire system, as well as an internal mobility lens around how do we maximize the talent that we have internally. And I lead the operations day-to-day of talent acquisition through um, and Susie Ko, who's our leader of talent acquisition, who reports into me. And so it's a pretty big, diverse job. And Literally every day is a little bit different because we operate in an agile sort of environment. So it's quite different than most typical HR sort of functions. And, um, you know, every single day looks quite unique. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be leading a Google Sprint on our leadership development um, platforms that we have across ATB to really look at revamping our offerings and figuring out what we need to be really providing for leaders to ensure that they're enabled for success. And so that is completely outside the norm of what my sort of job description is supposed to look like. But that's kind of the beauty of the job is that it encompasses so many things around talent, leadership, as well as performance. Um, I've I've always been aware of ATP as being the kind of company that's always trying out new things. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, for example, the only bank I know that uses a Google product Mm -hmm. uh, for banking, which which most other companies would almost have fears about. And and I love how ATP always goes after everything with a much more innovative eye Mm -hmm. and willing to try it out, willing to test. And you guys do that because there's always a problem you're trying to solve, right? What would you say is top of mind right now? What is the number one problem that you're trying to solve in managing talent? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the biggest thing is it goes back to that human machine factor because as we we're, we're talking a lot about automation currently and trying to understand the implications of automation and the future of work. And one of the things that just keeps coming up in every single conversation and every piece of research that we do is how do we make sure that we really maximize people's real core skill sets around um, critical thinking and creativity and emotional intelligence in a way that is still really efficient and is meaningful for people. And so the biggest thing really comes back to that human marrying with machines to make sure that we are, um, especially in the recruitment experience, is that are we being as efficient as possible but also maximizing the impact of the recruiter, for instance, and being able to have them be in a position to tell the story of what ATB's got going on, to be in a position to source and attract really great talent, to try really different innovative things that get people to pay attention to us. Um, We're particularly in an interesting position because a couple of years ago, we we decided to sort of embark on an internal sort of transformation. And part of that was moving away from Microsoft and going fully into the Google suite of products, which has been really interesting in terms of collaboration and connection as an organization. And a part of that transformation, it's been difficult because people don't recognize us as a technology company. They don't necessarily know that they can build a great technology career at a bank. And so we struggle with trying to figure out how do we connect people to the human stories of people's experiences at this organization, that they can have a real impact, they can work in an organization that isn't super sophisticated in terms of our technology and where we're at with everything, and you can be part of building that. So it's how do we attract that really great talent by telling the human stories and connecting all of those great talents that the recruiters and everyone in the talent system has to the actual process, which we're really looking at from a perspective of efficiency. 
Now, do you have a large team that does recruitment? So we have six recruiters, and we have um, one individual that is our talent practice lead. So she essentially looks at our new applicant tracking system, which we're implementing in another month, which is super exciting. And she looks at ways in which we think about efficiency, leader enablement, with respect to self-service, all of the different things that kind of keep our practice running. And then we also have a talent attraction lead. So she's responsible for looking at sort of those hot spots across the business that are really struggling with finding really great talent and how do we get in front of that talent in a different kind of a way that might be a little bit more scrappy, um, may not necessarily look as fancy as hiring a headhunter and we can do it all in our in-house by really telling our story in a different way. So six recruiters and then two um, sort of other strategic roles. So you don't have a huge team. No. <laughs> How do you help your recruiters manage your time then? Because there's this tension of you got to do the automation, they've mm-hmm. got to build a personal brand, they've got to do this, this yes. and this. And by the way, we want you to be a human and you know treat everybody like a human and that takes time. Yeah. So how do you help your recruiters manage your time effectively to do that? Yeah, it's probably also something else to add to Luke's question around the biggest issues and yep. challenges that we come across. It's incredibly tough. I think we're always trying to plug that we need more support. We're really excited though that we're getting a new applicant tracking system at the end of September. And we're really hoping that that's going to create a ton of efficiencies for us in our processes. And it's about working harder, not or smarter, not harder, trying to teach the team to focus on those opportunities for maximum impact with the least amount of effort, essentially. And it's a lot about trying to enable them to partner with leaders because as a leader myself, the most important decision I'm ever going to make is who I hire onto my team. And the talent partners are really there to enable the process to coach leaders, to look out for those red flags, to catch them if they're making some really obvious biased decisions, but they're not there to do everything for them. And so it's really looking at our service level agreement and figuring out where's the maximum value that we can add without having to exert so much energy and effort because we're also a really popular organization. I think our stats are maybe a little bit outdated in terms of number of applications, but within the last couple of years, it's sat at about 40,000 plus people every year trying to apply for opportunities with us. And that's a lot of pressure on the team to also represent ATB in a really authentic way and balance out their lives, like we said, right, with mental health being a really big focus at the organization. So me, myself as a leader, I try to role model as much as possible with respect to, you know, actually taking advantage of opportunities that we have internally for mental health resources, um, really recognizing that there's got to be some opportunities for fun and for engagement that have nothing to do with work. Um, we have a concept at ATB called 8510 and we like to focus 85% of our time on the core of our work and 10% of our time learning and thinking about different ways of the way the world works. And then 5% of our time really looking at innovative strategies and really game-changing things that have maybe nothing to do with your day-to-day work, but just could be interesting for people to kind of know about. And so trying to balance those things is difficult, but we also have work-life balance in the sense that we can work anywhere it makes sense for us to get our job done. So you're not spending hours in a day commuting to work back and forth. People have the opportunity to work from home. I work from coffee shops a lot. I try to role model that to my team. And I try not to do a lot of like evening weekend work, or if I do sort of set emails to go out on Monday morning versus Friday night, that type of thing. So it's not easy, but it's it's a ongoing concern. 
Marshall, yeah, earlier you were saying you get almost 40,000 applicants yeah. a year and you're six people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you deal with a volume like that? I know that ATB experimented with um, accepting video applications. Yeah. Um, I'm really inquisitive to know how that worked out for you. Did mm-hmm. it change the quality of applicants? Did it change the volume? Did it help you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the video idea came from a number of different sort of pain points that we had with the fact that we would get a ton of volume. So it was particular roles that really triggered it. Like, for instance, every time we would post an administrative assistant position, a receptionist role, we would get bombarded with applications. And we decided to just try it out, to experiment what would happen if we asked people to submit a video, answer a few questions for us. And it was amazing to see, first of all, the quality of applications that came through and the people that were really hungry for the opportunity. So better quality. Absolutely, Mm -hmm. 100%. And we started to experiment with it more with our summer student program because that was another area where there was a ton of volume. And what we found was that students were not necessarily picky about what opportunities they were applying for, and they were applying for anything and everything Mm -hmm. that looked like it could be reasonable for them. And when we found that, we asked them to um, not only do videos, but do things that were, what we said was, tell us your story in your way that represents who you are. For me, it's about those character-defining moments or the things that are really unique about them that helps them stand out. And we were amazed at the quality of stories that we received with respect to people submitting videos, people submitting original songs. We had one student from actually Tim's class that submitted a podcast. Um, It was incredible to see the range that we received because we put things in their hands in respect to do it in a way that's comfortable for you, that really showcases your personality. That doesn't mean you have to do a video, but if you do, all the better. And we were amazed. If you ever are curious, if you just go onto YouTube and go type in HB 101, you will see so many applications that we received that way. And our summer student program is now going on its fifth year, I believe, and incredibly successful. We have great retention rates through the program with students not only staying on in opportunities that they were hired for, but also completely pivoting their careers, starting in business banking and going to technology and just expanding beyond what we could have ever imagined. Yeah, this summer I taught a recruitment and selection class and I actually made my students uh, record a video of themselves (laughs) and then they had to share it with the rest of the class. It was an online class. And then we had a discussion for them on how they felt. And my, my reasoning for that was if they're going to be recruiters one day, yeah. I want them to feel what it's like to be on the other side totally. of making a video. And it was fascinating. They all kind of hated doing it personally, mm-hmm. but they also saw the value from a company using it. So they're mostly torn and no yep. different opinions on that. But uh, That's it was a fun exercise to make them do. I really enjoyed totally. making them do that. <laughs> I really like that you open it up, that people didn't have to necessarily do a video, mm-hmm. but could just submit anything in their own form. Because there are a lot of people who feel yep. really, really awkward totally. on video. I see that a lot at Top Recruiter. Yeah, A lot of people are fearful of being on video, but they're happy to have a phone call mm-hmm. or record something or write something. Write something, yep. So I really like that you opened that up. Yeah. One, one question on this. Do you think, and we, we debated this in my class too, mm-hmm. and I don't know the answer to it, but do you think that could possibly lead to more discrimination? You're obviously seeing a person. You can obviously generally see what race they are, mm-hmm. gender, et cetera. Do you think, talk to us about that or how do you address that at ATV? Yeah, I mean, we're actually right now in the middle of a pilot with a company called HireVue, and we do digital interviewing for I'd say 90% of our opportunities now as opposed to doing traditional phone screen conversations. And we do offer the opportunity for people to get accommodation if there's any reason whatsoever that they don't feel comfortable doing it. So it does put the candidate back in the driver's seat a little bit. 
And there is definitely a risk for sure that there's that unconscious bias. There's, you know, that opportunity for people to sometimes feel like they're not necessarily getting a fair shake, um, especially if English is their second language or they might be a person of color and they feel like maybe that leader just sees something that they don't like or whatever it is. And so we're really responsible for making sure that leaders are checking their biases. That's where the talent partner team really shines is consulting with the leader to focus on the quality of what they're saying, not on how awkward they look or how uncomfortable they might be. And we even tell candidates that as well. We make sure that in our language, when we're inviting them to do these things, that they have the opportunity to understand about what it is that we're actually looking for. There's even opportunities for us when we look at our call center, for instance, our care center. We don't care what anybody looks like. We want to hear what they sound like. And so we actually turn video off for those particular opportunities Mm -hmm. because it is really about how they connect, right, with their voice and their language. And that's most important for us. So there's definitely a risk for that. And I'm always a little bit cautious just being myself a person of color and really an advocate for diversity and inclusion and belonging and all of those pieces but it is a matter of making sure that the talent partner is there to check those biases and to challenge what the leader's really looking for and why they might be questioning whether someone isn't necessarily a fit for an opportunity based on things that are outside of what they're saying. Um, what are some of the other tools or tips that you're experimenting with Mm -hmm. right now to help you really save some time for your team and also ensure that you got really good quality of hire? Yeah, so we we do a lot of, quite a while ago we started something called talent communities where we would utilize LinkedIn groups to sort of connect directly with talent and engage with them around what our culture is really like, give them a bit of a slice of life insight into what is ATB? Because even when you walk into our physical campus and our doors, people are usually quite amazed that we're a bank because it always feels like it's like a technology company. It looks like Google, essentially, is what everyone always says to us. I've been there, it does. Yeah, and we're like tucked away in this little corner out by the airport in Calgary, and it's this weird location that you now have to pay for parking at, which is really weird, but that's a whole (laughs) other story. Um, And so we try to make sure that people get that feel and flavor And you can't necessarily do that through a job posting. And so we experimented with talent communities for quite a number of years. We've recently decided to stop doing them because they require a lot of maintenance, particularly from hiring teams and leaders, because people don't want to talk to recruiters. They want to talk directly to the leaders and Mm -hmm. to team members to understand what is it really like to work there? What's it really like to do this job? But we had a lot of success when we were maintaining it for the business, where we would have hangout events that we would bring people in person and just have them meet and connect with leaders. We actually do that in another sort of less um, cumbersome kind of forum uh, with our our Everyday Financial Services group, which is basically our retail banking group, where we bring in a whole bunch of branch managers and we get them to connect directly with team members. And we do a lot of um, sort of simulation type questions with them and do like a bit of a speed round kind of interview style. And that's a really quick, efficient way to get to the heart of who people are, see them in different scenarios in terms of how are they navigating through this potentially really uncomfortable environment um, and still coming out successful. Um, So that's a really great way for us to see a great amount of efficiency, but also connect in a really human way with people. And we're looking at assessments that have AI baked into them that we are currently actually with HireVue piloting an AI piece for our personal banking roles. And we're just in validation right now, so we don't really even know if it's 
as effective as we would like it to be and if it's actually supporting the right decisions. Would this be evaluating videos or resumes or Yeah, videos. Yeah. yeah. And so it provides us really with simple um, yes, no's essentially in terms of helping the hiring leader make the decision that they need to make. But we do encourage leaders to make sure they watch all of the videos to make sure that they are also listening to their gut and trusting that they can read people too, especially if you're in a leadership position in a branch, you probably connect with people all the time. And so we want people to also validate that for us. So we're experimenting with that right now. And then the other thing for us that we love to do, which is not even remotely innovative, but it just gets back to the heart of connection. We love to partner with different types of organizations, with um, students, with different subsets of the population. And we just like to get in front of them and we don't like career fairs. We think that they don't add a lot of value, but we love to get in front of different groups and just provide advice around how do you shine authentically through the recruitment process, meet the recruiters, connect with them, engage, but do it in a workshop type of environment where they're getting something from us, but we're also being able to plant the ATB seed around, hey, this could be not only a great place to work, but maybe a great place to bank. So we really connect the candidate experience to the customer acquisition side of things because we recognize that there's a huge connection there. And so we just get back to the basics of connection and really empowering people because we always know that the job searching process is emotional. It is not easy. Sometimes you feel like every door slams in front of you and you rarely get the opportunity to just connect in a meaningful way with people and we want to take some of that away from the candidates and give them more opportunity to know about who we are and you said something really interesting there Mm. which i'd completely forgotten about was that people who are applying to atb for a job they're also prospective customers of the bank Mm -hmm. so the experience that a candidate has in applying for a job affects the ability for the company to have their customer. Yes. How do you how do you balance that, or how do you make? Yeah. Abs- I'm sure that it the ca- candidate experience is even more important for you than any other company. How do you make sure that the candidate experience is really good? Yeah. Um, and is it something you struggle with? It is something we struggle with because I think a lot of times it's hard to drive the point home that there's a connection, and we are really trying to drive that home with leaders to say. Like, put yourself in the shoes of the candidate. Like, put your empathy lens on and your hat on. And understand that if somebody is going out of their way to connect with you over the phone or in person, that they have the right to hear back from you in whatever way makes sense for them. So ask them in the interview process, how would you like to hear about next steps or feedback? And if the person wants to do it by email, then great. If they want to have a phone call conversation, then do that. And it doesn't mean you have to give the feedback to them in the immediate moment. You can always ask candidates, you know, we're not moving forward with you. Like, would you like to process this and come back to me to get feedback um, at a later date? So putting the candidate in the driver's seat. And it's not easy because leaders are incredibly busy and they don't always connect the dots on the fact that this person, if they have a really bad experience with you, they may never want to bank with us because I've had that experience at companies before that They don't really Mm -hmm. go away. Those experiences stick in your head. So we're trying to do a lot with um, sort of that consulting, coaching work that the talent partner team does to work with leaders to remind them that it's it's important, it's their responsibility, and it really connects back to customer acquisition. We don't have the sophisticated data at this point to connect the dots quite that well yet, but we're hoping with our new applicant system and its ability to integrate 
with some of our other systems that we have internally, there's going to be an opportunity to be able to do that down the line. Wow. And I think it can be healthy for leaders to, um, I mean, not that you want to lose them, but if they do apply for other jobs Mm -hmm. and understand what the experience is, even at the management executive level, and what it's like to not hear from a recruiter for weeks or months, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden get a call out of the blue and you're at the shopping mall with your kids and you have to answer questions. And yeah. think thinking about the other side of recruitment is important for recruiters. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you, you made a comment earlier about uh, career affairs mm-hmm. and uh, you kind of glossed over it, but I, mean, <laughs> I want you to expand on it. You said yeah. you don't actually like going to career affairs. No. Traditionally, that was one of the big things you put on your checklist in yeah. a way for us recruiters to uh, get out and yeah. go see Western Canada or wherever yeah. you're going. But tell us about that. You know, why don't you like them? I just don't think they set anybody up for success. And I'm coming as a as a true introvert who really gets awkward and uncomfortable in situations where you have to sort of pretend like you're somebody else to be able to shine. We even have information sessions. We do them a lot when we are hiring for students every year. We go to the campuses. And what we find is that the students that are the most extroverted, the most bubbly, or who can act like they are, stand out to us and are the ones that get noticed. And that's not necessarily fair for everybody. And what we find is that we end up standing around and we get people that come to the tables when we have swag and things Mm -hmm. that will draw them in. But we're not necessarily always having such meaningful conversations and connections. And we do a lot to put the onus back on the candidate to connect with us if they're interested. Because taking a paper resume really will do nothing for us. It's just going to end up in in a file folder that may never get looked at because everything is online and it requires such an extra piece of effort if someone is amazing, we might go that extra mile. But if they just are, you know, an average person that didn't, not average, but if they just didn't stand out to us, we're not necessarily going to go out of our way to upload their resume into our system and make them a, a candidate and find an opportunity for them. Because for us, we're different than agency recruiters where we're really looking at the candidates to tell us where they think they really fit. And so what we find with connecting with people in a different way around workshops and we do things around for instance digital interviewing we went we work with a company based out of Calgary that's really focused on persons with disabilities and that's a a a subset of the population that there's so many barriers if you have visual impairment and other things that doing a digital interview is going to be the most daunting thing it's already difficult enough for fully able people to navigate through that and so we want to be able to give back in a meaningful way and utilize our knowledge and our strengths and our insight to help people just navigate through those processes and those experiences in a way that feels like it's most authentic for them. And we can't get that in a career fair environment because it's just fighting for people's attention and everyone is doing it on the employer side and the Mm -hmm. potential candidate side. And how are people supposed to stand out? I think you miss out as well. I always say that in the world, there's people, there are the thinkers and the speakers, mm-hmm. and you miss out on the thinkers. You do, and you need the thinkers and the speakers at at your company, right? Yep. So you might a career fair might be really good for hiring all the speakers. Yeah, and exactly. you miss out on the on the I intellectuals. Also, yeah. I also think some companies have done career fairs because they've always done career fairs. Yes, they don't challenge that. Um, I won't name the schools, but I did send my students at Ambrose out, out to a couple of career fairs, yeah. and they had a journal of the response and. When I read their responses, it just made me angry because, yeah. you know, they're talking about going up to a table and the recruiter's sitting there playing on her phone and they're just ignoring the students walking up. Uh, yeah. One girl, this one made me really angry, but, you know, early 20s, she's a university student, blonde, 
walks up and one guy was basically did everything but ask her out he was a recruiter yeah probably 20 years older than her and she was completely creeped out she walked up to the booth with two guys mm -hmm. you know two other male students he refused to talk to them he wanted to talk to mm. the wow. female student yeah. right there and how did yeah. she feel about that company so yeah. in a weird way the career fair actually had a detrimental effect mm -hmm. because the companies had sent the wrong people yeah. and screened out the people or they're sending whoever's available or doesn't have work to do so mm -hmm. that's a topic for another day but um <laughs> Now you lead a team of recruiters or mm -hmm. teams, and I know you've moved up into a director role here, mm -hmm. but uh, when you hire a recruiter, mm -hmm. what do you look for? Oh, that's my one of my favorite questions. <laughs> I think for me, and I try really hard not to emulate myself and try to not to hire in my likeness, which is difficult because, you know, there's things about yourself that you're like, okay, I, I can see that and I can, I can really resonate with that in other people, but for for me there's a there's an element of growth mindset that is super super important that somebody in one way shape or form is continually learning and pushing themselves and growing so it doesn't have to be recruitment related or connected but that they have something that challenges them and that pushes them to do more because that to me demonstrates that they're not just going to sit idle and let things kind of come to them especially for us at ATB we are what I would call you have to be a really resourceful human to succeed at this company because we don't have all of the answers. We're not a very policy-driven organization, so there's not a lot of black and white to play with. And so somebody that has a growth mindset automatically sort of demonstrates that they'll be able to just figure things out. And the second piece is an emotional intelligence factor. I can't work with anybody that doesn't have self-awareness and doesn't know where they need to sort of improve and focus on because if they're walking in thinking that they are perfect and that they don't have flaws or weaknesses or aren't willing to sort of tap into those to get better then it's really impossible for me to be a great leader to them and for me to see them succeed so growth mindset and emotional intelligence are my number two non-negotiable factors and then of course there's things around I really don't even care about recruitment experience because I think that can easily be taught. Somebody took a chance on me. Six years ago, I was a, I was a student living in Vancouver, answering Craigslist ads just to try to get something, someone to hire me. And somebody took a chance on me and I never thought I would ever be in recruitment because like I said, I'm a very proud introvert. Mm -hmm. Not so proud at that time, just thought I was really shy and quiet. And I would literally just create scripts when I would have to call people just to kind of get through the conversation. But that sense of growth mindset within me was something that allowed me to navigate through that. So the recruitment experience isn't as important, but those two core soft skills are the most important thing for me that I look for. I love that you said that because I was actually thinking exactly that. I was like, wow, you haven't mentioned any school or education mm -hmm. required and no particular experience required. Yeah. And I, I've just recently been visiting in San Francisco and mm -hmm. what I noticed there was everybody open, opening conversation line was which school did you go yeah. to? <laughs> it was so important. What is your education? Yeah. What's your background? What qualifies you and gives you the credibility to be doing your job? Mm -hmm. Whereas here, the attitude is more, are you resourceful? Are you, a, are you human in the mm -hmm. way you conduct yourself? Yep. And can you do the job? Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah, it's Thanks funny. Like I have a master's degree in education, so it's kind of ironic that I'm saying that. But I'm also of the belief that that sort of knowledge and education and that insight can come from so many different places. Yep. And just having people who have traveled and who have just had experiences in life that really challenge them and push them to become better, those to me are more important than my 
master's level education that cost me gobs and gobs of money that I'm still paying off and trying yeah. to navigate through. And it, it was great for me. And I also come from a family that really believes in education and from a community that that's like a, a table stake. And I don't regret a second of it. It's really put me in a position of where I am today because I've been able to tap into a lot of different things around how I communicate all of those pieces. But it doesn't mean that everybody else has to look exactly the same. So, so finally, uh, tell us about your podcast. So you started yeah. a podcast earlier this year called mm. The Color Gap. I have listened to a handful of episodes. Mm. It's really good. Thank you. I'm not just saying that. <laughs> and I'm saying that as a 30-something white male <laughs> listening to The Color Gap podcast, which I'm not sure if I am your target audience, but uh, yes. I enjoyed it. And, you know, and... Why did you start that? Tell us a bit about, you know, what you talk about on this uh, podcast. There. Yeah. So it's really sort of a passion project for uh, Susie Co. and I. So Susie is a leader on talent acquisition for ATB and she sits on my team. And we've known each other for uh, coming on five years and we're both women of color and we both work in corporate environments. And for me, the thing that really sort of started the whole dialogue was when I went into a leadership position. And I work for a pretty diverse organization, like I said, almost 5,300 team members. And when you get to my level and anything above, the number of people of color diminishes as well as especially the number of women of color. I can probably count on one hand how many we actually have in the organization that are director level and above. And it's really lonely. And we wanted to talk about that in a way that broke down barriers around people's misperception of what that feels like really through a lens of storytelling as well as looking at things from a lens of data to understand like are we actually crazy is this a thing is it really just our lived experience or is it the experience of a lot of other women that look just like us and both Susie and I are of great advantage in the sense that we were born and raised in Canada we've never had to deal with those additional barriers of having an accent and having to navigate through a completely new world and a new country which as a side note in the, all these conversations around automation, I have this belief that immigrants are the most beautifully set up to succeed through all of the change because they've seen it all. Mm -hmm. And they've probably gone through worse than losing a job to automation or to robots, right? Because they've been able to navigate through change quite well. And so that's where it also came from was how do we teach women of color that are around us that their stories are really important and that they deserve advocacy and that they can be their own best advocate as well. And so we started the conversation really around the idea that we wanted to talk about our experiences navigating corporate worlds. And it's sort of expanded into looking at a lot of different things. We're gonna be relaunching actually next week, and we're gonna be looking at everything from you know, beauty ideals, how growing up Disney princesses never represented anything that looked like any of us. Um, we're gonna be talking about even just generally the beauty industry, how Rihanna was one of the first people to ever come out with a really inclusive makeup line that actually covered a range of shades for all shades of women, which was never done before. And that was, I think, in 2018. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to be talking about raising mixed race children and how do you navigate that raising a daughter that has two completely different identities. So there's a lot of different intersections that we want to start to explore. Um, even things like the Trump effect around what is the Trump effect in the U.S. really doing to how we talk about race within Canada? Because we're always a little bit polite about those conversations and nobody really wants to go there. But it's a reality of how you know we have to look at our worlds today. And when we talk about diversity and inclusion, 
we look at it always from a lens of we're going to invite you to come to the conversation and that doesn't really look at things from a lens of belonging and so how do we get corporations um, you are part of our target audience Tim because we recognize that being a white male there's a lot of privilege that comes from that and there's a lot of responsibility and we just want people to wake up to that and recognize that there's things that they can do which are not game-changing that will really change how they look at the world we always say like it doesn't require you to go and hire a whole bunch of people of color to really get yourself kind of quote-unquote woke but even things around your social media feed like challenge who you follow follow people that might think a little bit differently than you to really open up your mindset travel read different types of books that you wouldn't necessarily read watch a documentary on Netflix that maybe wouldn't have necessarily drawn your attention just by the name, just so you can challenge the way that you look at the world and really challenge your thinking. And so we're really hoping to just create a bit of a conversation and some dialogue around lived experience and around really looking at diversity from the perspective of not only is it a great advantage to organizations, but it's also just the right thing to do. When I think you talk about this in the podcast, but it's more than just getting, you know, a quota of mm-hmm. X, you know, in your seats yeah. and beyond that is, well, how do those people adapt into the organization? Yes. How are they treated? It's not just getting in the seat, but that's what true inclusion is. Mm-hmm. You're on the team there. Yeah. I think what I appreciated the most about your podcast is it's, it's honest and funny at times where you're telling yeah. your personal stories, mm-hmm. but it's also positive too. Mm-hmm. So you're not approaching this from a, thou shalt do this. No. And, you know, we have all the answers, but it, so again, to our listeners, uh, Check it out, The Color Gap. It's on iTunes and iTunes, most podcasting services. Yeah, Spotify, Google Play. I think those three are where you can primarily find them. And it's Color Gap spelt the Canadian way. It's the C-O-L-O-U-R. Good that you said that. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's C-O-L-O-U-R. Yeah. C-O-L-O-U-R, yes. No, it's funny, it's funny that you say that because um, I think there's a whole crowd of um, white males like us who deny that this is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And just a, a real story for you is... Um, a really good friend of mine here in Calgary is from Ghana, from West Africa. Mm-hmm. And um, if we walk into a grocery store, mm-hmm. we get stared down like it's going out of fashion. Yeah. And you realize then how real this is, that as nice as we are in Canada, mm-hmm. it's still interesting and we have a lot of learning to do. So thank yeah. you so much for breaching the topic. Yeah. Um, and I think the advice that you share of, you know, see other people's point of view, read different materials. Mm-hmm. That's something that we can apply to the way we recruit as well. Absolutely. To be a little bit more exploratory in yes. how we do things. Absolutely. I always I love the question around asking people what are character-defining moments in their life that have really shaped who they are because that gets to the heart of who their life is like. What? Why are they the way they are? And you can't read that on a resume. And if you're not asking those questions to get to the humanity of the person, you're never going to really get to know them. And that's been a real game changer for me in terms of how I interview and connect with people. And it's amazing the stories that you will hear when you ask those questions. Well, thanks so much for joining us here today and sharing your story. We really appreciate that. And we can't wait to hear more. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Shazia. Thank you.